So uh, yeah, <laughs> sorry for sorry for that. Uh, I haven't streamed in a long time, so I just had to uh, make sure all the settings were correct and uh, that sort of thing. So uh, yeah, should be fixed now. And uh, we're gonna do like a Q and A. Happy Happy New Year, everyone! Like uh, let's hope uh, 2021 is gonna be better than uh, 2020. <laughs> but uh, at the same time, I think also that uh, 2021 is gonna be uh, pretty hard, or not hard, like more um, quite similar as 2020 in a lot of ways. Uh, but anyway, like we can s still have a good time on the stream and uh, do some Q and A, and uh, yeah, just uh, improve our education and knowledge about uh, taking care of ourselves and uh, being prepared for any kinds of things in the future. So uh, yeah, like just uh, uh, yeah, just uh, start uh, asking some questions in the chat. That would be good to uh, start off the stream. And I hope you had like a good uh, holiday season. I did take like a short break from uh, YouTube and uh, podcasting for a few weeks. Uh, mostly because of, uh, because of, um, uh, being, uh, you know, the holidays and at the same time also, uh, being, uh, involved with uh, some other things I've been working on and, uh, didn't have like that much time. So I'm kind of, kind of the person who wants to, uh, basically focus solely on uh, doing one thing at a time. And, uh, yeah, I've, uh, been, you know, writing a lot, creating a lot of content for the next year or this, this year. So that's why I didn't have like that much time to, um. To, uh, YouTube and the videos but uh, yeah I'm gonna be doing more <laughs> from from now on for for the coming uh, few months so anyway yeah let's maybe pick up some questions I can really check out the chat and uh, it should be I should be able to also um, check out the chat on the stream if that's possible and uh, yeah there we go that's 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 not much better. <laughs> no, I, can actually, I can just check it out. So uh, okay, let's take the first question. Uh, the sauna is not available to me now. Can I achieve an effect with a hot shower? Thank you. Stay strong. So uh, yeah, I have actually a video that I made about it of how do you get the benefits of sauna without actually taking a sauna. So um, you know there, you know the sauna is the best way to get the benefits of the sauna, <laughs> but uh, essentially you can mimic it with some other activities. So what happens when you are in a sauna? You experience uh, hyperthermia, which is uh, you know elevation of your normal body temperature, and hyperthermia appears to you know kick in around 38 degrees uh, Celsius, uh, or uh, which would be in Fahrenheit. I don't know, maybe like um, uh, 90 or 80 degrees Fahrenheit, something like that. But essentially, you need to just heat up your body in some way, and you can do it with like uh, exercise, uh, yoga. That can be do it even like. Uh, you know, just sitting in a hot car or yeah, the hot shower can also mimic that uh, to a certain extent. So like there are some unique effects you also get from just taking a sauna that you don't get from like exercise or uh, yoga. But at the same time, the general like heat shock response uh, tends to be similar. So you get like the lower inflammation from uh, exercise. Uh, you get the heat shock protein response from exercise. And uh, yeah, you, you get the repairing of the misfolded proteins as well. So uh, yeah, if you don't have access to sauna, then you can do like if I if I if I were to be in like a in New York City in a small apartment uh, without access to like a public gym or a public sauna, then I would do like yeah this uh, isometric yoga poses uh, every day uh, where you are holding like like max out in like a plank or uh, like this warrior pose or some crow pose or something like that because of that isometric contraction is uh, essentially um, accelerating the heat shock response because you get generating a lot of tension and a lot of heat with the isometric hold uh, more so than you do with like some something explosive so you, you generate much less of this heat shock response if you're doing like uh, k 
kettlebell swings or if you're doing burpees or something compared to like an isometric hold, uh, like a plank. So more heat jack protein response from that and uh, um, more of the similar effects to the sauna. Mm. And uh, yeah, yeah, even like maybe just keeping your body temperature high with um, drinking some slightly warmer beverages, um, like caffeine or coffee, teas, those are great for that actually. Like I would imagine that... Um, you would also experience a similar respect by, by you know, increasing your metabolic rate and um, increasing the heat check protein response. Uh, like, oh, but also like intermittent fasting has actually shown to increase heat check protein response. Um, so it depends on what kind of a benefit are you looking from from the sauna. Uh, but uh, generally, it's uh, yeah, the exercise is the best way to do it with yoga poses. Mm. I'm actually gonna move it this way, so I will look. Uh, like I'm actually looking at the screen. <laughs> there we go. Um, all right, next question. Do you think iron overload can be prevented on animal-based diets with adequate calcium? Um, so, uh, yeah, like iron, iron overload uh, can be a thing if you are doing like a lot of meat and uh, things. But... Uh, Generally, it's not the iron itself that is, you know, causing the issues. It's also like the matter of balance with the other minerals. So actually, I've been like a sneak peek. I can tell you like a spoiler that the next book I am working on talks about minerals, <laughs> and it kind of goes into very detail of uh, specifically like iron overload and iron deficiency anemia and and that sort of thing. But um, I can say that uh, uh, that basically the it's it's you can you you excess iron uh, basically increases copper deficiency and uh, that's can cause like you know problems in terms of your uh, cardiovascular health and actually causes this iron deficiency and a lot of the times people aren't deficient in iron they're more deficient in copper so if you balance the uh, iron from your like regular meat uh, you know muscle meat with like maybe liver or uh, oysters and that sort of thing would have more copper then uh, you can balance it and at the same time you know, we're all there's there's all, so many like sources of iron in our food that, that it tends to accumulate there and cause excess iron overload. So uh, if you're eating like processed foods, then all all of those are like essentially fortified with iron, like all the grains and breads uh, that tend to have iron in them, and uh, you can have like these you know good good to kind of couple that intake with uh, some iron chelators that uh, help to excrete or eliminate that iron. Uh, so it's hard to get rid of iron by itself because um, unless you bleed on a regular basis by you know cutting yourself or uh, menstruating, then uh, like especially men have higher iron levels because they don't menstruate and uh, like even like in modern world we don't like you know cut ourselves that often either. Like you know, you may cut your finger if you're at the cutting board or something, but um, that's very rare. So uh, using regular iron chelators um, is a good thing. Like blood donation is a good way to get rid of iron. Um, but uh, again, that's not, you know, always that convenient. So iron gilators would be like this, even like, you know, coffee is a good example of that, actually, uh, different teas, uh, as well as, uh, you know, these uh, phytates in, in plants, you know, these different vegetables, fibers, those things, uh, as well as even like spirulina, uh, green green algae or chlorella. That is uh, like an example of an iron gilator. So if, if, you, if you were to eat a lot of muscle meat and high iron foods, then... Um, Make sure that you do get like um, some copper foods as well to balance it, as well as you know plenty of uh, vegetables and fiber to um, chelate some of that iron. Because yeah, like excess iron is definitely not good, and is associated with uh, 
well, it's, you know, begins to rust, so to say, figuratively speaking, that causes oxidative stress to the, to the body and uh, be easily more oxidized. So, yeah, I don't see any, like, reason why you wouldn't maybe want to be adding some iron ghillators into your diet, unless you have, like, symptoms of anemia, so you have, like, low low energy, fatigue, your poor blood flow, uh, poor oxygenation, that sort of thing. But, uh, like I said, iron deficiency anemia is very rare, actually. It's mostly, like, a copper deficiency anemia that is... Um, the issue so eating more copper is is dense it's 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 uh copper copper deficiencies uh, are more common than iron deficiencies because iron deficiencies are just uh, misdiagnosed i think they're actually copper deficiencies <laughs> in most cases uh, can fasting 18 hours a day get you into autophagy uh, so yeah that's a good question or a frequent question um, essentially you need to uh, kind of increase this well, the, the degree of how deep into autophagy you get depends on the degree of um, energy depletion and energy stress on your body. So uh, the more energy stress, nutrient stress your body experiences, the more autophagy is going to activate in response. And um, usually, people get autophagy by doing intermittent fasting is because they're not eating anything, and uh, over the course of time, the body just uh, starts to burn through its glycogen stores and taps into its fat stores and that's where the you know, autophagy process starts uh, in parallel almost with like ketosis and you can speed it up with like exercise uh, saunas the cold uh, even like coffee uh, this is you know teas those things they are like calorie restriction mimetics essentially that also turn on the same pathways in the body that uh, when you're when you're doing like uh, exercise or uh, fasting of course it's not the same but on a like a molecular level or a biochemistry level it's um analogous or something so yeah you can you could get into autophagy with uh, fasting by 18 hours if you do like some fasted exercise slightly like even going for a walk maybe like a little bit of cycling it doesn't have to be like this intense exercise uh, something like that uh, would essentially uh, help to achieve it uh, faster do 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 next question are you in Latvia? No, I'm in Estonia. <laughs> so uh, yeah, Estonia is, uh, I think, one of the more normal countries in Europe at the moment because of the lockdowns. So we don't have any craziness, a lot of craziness going on. Um, so yeah, fortunate. Even like the gyms are open, you, it's just a limited capacity. So you have like less people there. But generally, it's a pretty pretty normal. Uh, how to prevent low T and high cortisol on keto with OMAD? Uh, yeah, so over the course of time, I've had like a few uh, like realizations of why people may get, let's say, low T and high cortisol because of doing keto and fasting. One of them is essentially yeah the stress that you may experience. Uh, so yeah, if you're let's say not used to a particular stress or if you overdo it, then anything can result in low T. Like people eating high carb diet can also have a low T and uh, high cortisol. Uh, so yeah, first of all, I would look at yeah like your overall calorie intake. Are you eating enough calories? If you're like starving yourself, then that's a that's a pretty fast way to crash your tea and uh, <laughs> get stressed out. Uh, then I would look at your nutrients, uh, like micronutrients, vitamins, minerals, because uh, you know testosterone requires certain minerals, uh, the steroid hormones require certain minerals, and uh, the thyroid requires certain minerals. The main ones being like uh, zinc, uh, magnesium, copper uh iron a little bit uh so vitamin b6 and uh, others so selenium for example and th th that's where you you know look if you eat like a good diet you eat enough calories you sleep well you're not 
you know, overtraining, you do, you do like regular exercise, but not like um, crazy overtraining, then that will be uh, the kind of the starting point. Then you have to look, if you're doing OMAD, then you would have to kind of think about, okay, is the OMAD, like, is it too stressful for me? Uh, or am I combining it with uh, like other too many bigger stressors? Like if you are doing OMAD, but you're also doing hit cardio, then maybe you can't handle that hit cardio at the moment. Uh, so you kind of dial it back down. Uh, or you know maybe ha add an additional meal before doing the hit or something. So it's a it's a matter of um, like yeah, just overall balance between your stressors. So I I don't think that any particular stressor is inherently the root cause of your issues. It's only like a matter of what is uh, making you uh, tip over the top <laughs> or making you tilt over, so to say. Uh, and it can be anything. It can be like uh, just sleep, or it can be like a magnesium deficiencies that is keeping your uh, sympathetic nervous system activated all the time and keeping you in the stressed out state. So it depends a lot on people. But um, essentially, what I've you know what I've, you know I've been doing one meal a day for like four to five years now, and I've never had like any like problems with it. I've never had any um, like desire to quit or something or reason to quit or change uh, so what i've been doing is yeah just eat I've, what i think i've seen is that eating like this uh, lower carb uh, slightly higher protein diet is a very uh, effective way to prevent like a low thyroid if you are doing fasting because you're eating protein that is you know keeping your muscle mass high uh, that is also increasing your metabolic rate making you burn calories for digestion of that protein and keeping you satiated and uh, also you know provides all the like a lot of the, a lot very hard to get to the nutrient efficient if you're eating uh somewhat of a like a balanced uh higher protein diet i think and of course sleeping well and uh, that sort of thing um what's the diet like nowadays it's been a while since i've watched your content uh well um i've been uh yeah i like i I've been doing like a similar diet uh, pretty much uh, for the last yeah four to five years, uh, but I've definitely like I've, it's always like adapting and changing based upon like what I do. So my philosophy is that I eat always kind of based based upon my physical like energy requirements. So if I work out a lot more, or if I do like a lot of resistance training, then I will naturally like eat eat more calories and i will also naturally eat maybe like a little bit more protein as well as a little bit more carbs whereas if i'm like sedentary or if i'm not moving around that much uh, then i would reduce the carbs keep the keep it low carb and uh, but still keep the protein high and increase like maybe like more of the fats so if i do if i do have like a um like yeah like a resistance training workout uh then i would um you know I would have like more carbs on that day but on that day i will also eat, keep the uh, fats low so if i eat like higher fat then i would keep the carbs low and if i eat higher carb then i would keep the uh, fats low uh, so uh, that, that that's that's why that is a good easy way to prevent uh, like uh, calorie excess as well as uh, preventing um, like this let's say metabolic you know manifestation manifestation of metabolic syndrome or something where you're eating this high carb foods that spike your insulin and spike your blood sugar and you also eat uh high fat foods at the same time together that will you know increase your lipids and uh, triglycerides and 
cholesterol levels and that's you know preventing them from being oxidized because you're burning the carbs so yet yeah, i would much rather keep them separately at least that i've seen is very easy because you are you know you're preventing overconsumption of calories which is the worst part and you're also at the same time preventing like this mixing of fuel sources and you achieve this metabolic flexibility effect where you're able to burn carbs on some days and on other days you're eating uh, more fats so that's the topic of uh, like metabolic autophagy that's one of my books that you can definitely check out. Um, it's it's gonna be two years in February since the release, <laughs> so two year anniversary in two months. Uh, so check it out. And yeah, I've been actually doing the same type of mentality. It's 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 my old diet uh, philosophy and uh, diet strategies basically in this book, uh, combining intermittent fasting with cyclical ketosis and uh, resistance training and uh, that sort of thing for for achieving both like muscle growth as well as longevity and, you know, boosting autophagy with protein synthesis and that sort of thing. Is a hot shower healthier than a cold shower? Um, well, depends on the situation, but generally I would think that, like, you know, let's if you talk about just generalize it between hot and cold therapy, like, is the, is the sauna better or is the, is the ice bath better? I would say that the sauna is better, or at least, like, there's more evidence to show that the sauna and hot therapy is better than uh, the uh, the cold, uh, although cold also has benefits. Cold is great for like reducing inflammation and reducing arthritic pain and uh, yeah, boosting brown fat conversion and uh, increasing metabolic rate and increasing beneficial neurotransmitters in the brain and that sort of thing. But the heat uh, tends to have like more evidence in terms of uh, also you know detoxification and lowering inflammation and repairing misfolded proteins and that sort of thing. So I think uh, like the whole hot hot would be better. Uh, hot therapy would be better than the cold but both are good uh, if i were to choose only one then i would choose the hot i would choose like the sauna um because yeah i think it's healthier slightly it, it has like less potential negative side effects so people would react worse to the cold if they're not used to it and or if they're not able to tolerate it compared to the uh, heat like the it's it's harder to overdose on heat because first of all if you don't tolerate it well then you're just going to go out and nothing nothing's going to happen um uh, but yeah what do you think about uh, working out with compound exercises every day yeah so that is called like the bulgarian method or something where these bulgarian weightlifters um, they would train this heavy olympic lifts every day multiple times a day even sometimes sometimes and uh, they would do like these heavy lifts like snatch and clean and jerk and squats and things uh every day um so I've I've done it something similar like like maybe two years ago or three years ago even yeah in college uh, I did the squat every day challenge for a month I think so I did like heavy barbell squats every day um, but uh, the key you you can definitely make it work and I did get stronger quite rapidly like uh, every workout I almost like put on more weight uh, to the bar uh, as a result of that uh, but the key way to make it work is to not overdo like the uh, volume so. Uh, like there are three training variables that you can all, always manipulate. There is a uh, training intensity, which is like your one rep max or like heavy lifts, uh, like up to five five repetitions would be like heavy intensity. I think uh, that is intensity, and then is volume. That is you know the the amount of uh, repetitions and the amount of sets that you do. Like you do uh, like three sets of fifteen or something. That's high volume, or even like five sets of uh, fifteen something. That's high volume. And the last variable is a frequency, so how often you train per week. So if you're training every day, so 
So if you're training every day, then you have to choose one or the other. If you're training every day, choose you either do high volume or high intensity. Because if you try to do all the both, <laughs> if you do every day, high intensity, high volume, balls to the wall, max out <laughs> all the time, then you're going to just burn out and you're going to overtrain. Uh, so you have to choose two in this uh, triad uh, or this uh, triangle. You have, you, if you choose uh, high frequency, then you have to choose either high intensity or high volume. So you, you take high frequency, you train every day. And I w I've seen like, you know, training more high intensity is uh, better because of that uh, you have less of a like um, less of a negative effect uh, on the nervous system that you don't overtrain if you have high frequency and high intensity. Whereas it's uh, if you do high volume, then the muscles are much easily overtrained, so to say, as a result of that. So I did uh, when I did the squat every day, then I would uh, have uh, a heavy you know squat workout every day, but I would uh, keep the rep reps uh, under five. So I do maybe like three sets of five with uh, like the maxim near maximum weight around like 80% uh, of one, rep one repetition maximum. So that's that's the way you do it. You can you could definitely do it like, and it does, and, you know, it teaches the skill. You can get very good at these skills um, or these movements if you do them more often. And it does, like if you train every day, then it does keep your like muscle protein synthesis more active for longer. Uh, not longer, but you know, essentially, you 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 keep the muscle protein synthesis active uh, uh, more frequently throughout the entire week. So if you train like a muscle group once a week, generally, like muscle protein synthesis after a workout uh, stays elevated for up to like forty eight hours um, for like ad like se semi advanced people. Uh, for like beginners, it's gonna stay for longer, but uh, like normal regular uh, people who do regular exercise, for them, it's like forty eight hours. Uh, the, and uh, like if you do train w once a week, then you're going to have only like two days where you can stimulate muscle growth in the particular muscle group that you stimulated. Whereas, whereas if you were to train like two times a week, then you would have, you know, you can span it out. Like you could even have like four days uh, as a result of that. Or if you train every day, uh, then you would have like basically the muscle protein synthesis activated <laughs> all, all week uh, as a result of that by, keep, by keeping the muscle protein synthesis elevated in the muscle. Mm, more frequently as, as well. So high frequency training is good, but you just have to make sure that you don't overtrain it and you, you shouldn't have the mindset that you go all out <laughs> with your exercise uh, after that. Mm. Would doing carnivore be beneficial for someone that is trying to lose 36 kilograms? Uh, well, like the most important thing to losing weight is, I think, uh, like adherence. So are you able to stick to it? So even if you are able to lose, let's say, 36 kilograms with a carnivore diet within like three months or so, are you, is it going to be permanent? Like it doesn't really matter how much weight you lose if you just go off the rails afterwards and you gain it back. So I have to think about, okay, is it something that I can stick to or is there is it something that I'm not going to like binge afterwards? Uh, so that's some first thing to keep in mind. Uh, can it work? Uh, of course it can. Like I've, I think a lot of people have made it work. Um, is it good? It's. I think it's a good weight loss diet because it's you know high in protein, uh, keeps you satiated, uh, and uh, also enables you to maintain muscle mass because of the high protein aspect, and uh, and it's also like re it's kind of this positive restriction. So you if you if you give this rule that I'm gonna only eat meat, I'm only eat a certain amount of meat, then you're it's more easy, more likely that you're going to end up with a calorie deficit because, uh, you know, it's a very limited food options and you don't have like the possibility of, let's say, eating this, a lot of this junk foods or something. Uh, of course, you, if you're having like cravings and you give in, then you're still going to eat it. But 
essentially if you have like a smaller smaller window of foods or small amount of foods to choose from then uh, it's more likely that you can end up in a like a semi-calorie deficit uh, but at the same time like it's very easy to also overeat calories on a carnivore diet if you eat like only bacon or uh, like pork chops or something <laughs> I I think a lot of people might have gained also weight if you do like this higher carnivore diet so it depends on like well, how do you respond um, is, it, is it possible of course uh, is it also not possible <laughs> then yeah it's that's also an option uh, would a 48 hour fast if starting in keto be similar to a 70, 72 hour fast if starting not in keto that's how much etc yeah well um, so ketosis does mimic some aspects of uh, fasting uh, primarily by keeping your blood sugar low and insulin low and uh, also keeping your uh, like these um, liver glycogen low as well as these other anabolic factors like uh, IGF-1 and mTOR slightly lower so yeah, theoretically, you will see um, autophagy faster if you are in ketosis uh, compared to ha starting to fast from like a high carbs source because your body has to first burn through like all the carbs and glycogen and go into ketosis first before it can go into autophagy. But at the same time, if you do like, um, let's say if you do keto for 48 hours, but you don't exercise, you're just sedentary uh, versus you do high carbs, but you have like a fasted cardio on the first day of the fast like at 24 hours you have fasted cardio then the high carb one is still gonna win because it did, you did exercise and the exercise uh, already put you into some deeper autophagy so it's a matter of like a yeah, situation of how, what are you actually doing um so but, but if, if, if both were to be sedentary if both were to be just fasting then the keto one would be first into autophagy and the same applies to like stem cells um like the activation of um, stem cell or the release of stem cells requires one activation of one enzyme PKA uh, that is re inhibited by basically carbs and insulin. So yeah, like ketosis, you you would need to go into some aspects of ketosis to start seeing some of the greater benefits, um, which is you know what essentially eventually will happen even if you are doing uh, like a higher carb starting point. It's just going to take a longer time to reach it. But if you like speed it up again with like fasting or like the exercise and uh, coffee or saunas or colds, then it's not going to matter. Mm. What would be the best way for someone to gain five to seven kilograms in a healthy way? Uh, well, I think uh, weights, <laughs> doing some weights, uh, is like trying to build muscle would be good uh, because, uh, yeah, like muscle tissue is inherently healthier than fat tissue so if you do want to gain weight then uh, making sure that it's uh, predominantly like muscle mass would be good uh, like a little bit of fat to gain is not it's not it's not like bad <laughs> you do need you know, healthy amounts of fat as well and being like too lean can also be problematic but uh, yeah generally like building weights with it uh, eating like a moderate uh, surplus so if you start to eat like only junk foods and uh, you eat like 2000 calories above your maintenance then uh, that's going to be predominantly like bad fat gain uh, versus if you keep it keep if like the slower the weight gain the healthier it is generally because uh, then you would also like drag your body fat set point along as well so to say so the, your body is always has this like um, preference point of weight at which you know feels the best at so if you're used to being at 50 kilograms of body weight and you go into like 70 kilograms in two months or so, 
then it's hard to maintain that uh, new set point because your body is used to being at a lower set point. So if you gradually uh, slow that process down and you you know make it more gradual, then um, the like the future weight is also be easier to uh, stick to. And the same applies to like weight loss. If you crash diet really fast, then your body isn't used to that new set point yet, and its you know potential for rebound and yo-yo dieting is much higher. Versus if you're not uh, crash dieting, you're taking it slightly slower, uh, more um, gradual approach, then uh, the new weight loss is going to be also more permanent. But uh, hi like a higher protein diet again is the only, the one for muscle growth, beneficial and uh, yeah, like a moderate calorie intake. Not intake but a surplus maybe like 500 is a good good uh, th uh, thresh threshold uh, what's the best thing to do after a cheat day is it better to fast or jump right back into keto style eating um, well the best thing to do after a cheat day I think um, yeah like some fasting can be an option depends on like how bad did you cheat <laughs> so if you did cheat like I don't know you ate an entire cake and like 5,000 calories or 10,000 calories uh, then uh, <laughs> then yeah like fasting would would help you to lose that weight faster but at the same time like I think it's inherently harder to fast after you've gone through like some sort of this uh, you know, massive rebound because uh, you get kicked out of ketosis you like spark some cravings you uh, make yourself addicted to food <laughs> and uh, then it's uh, harder to start the fast uh, like what I would do is um, yeah like I would maybe I would maybe like do like a protein sparing modified fast on that day uh, like I would just eat a little bit of protein with some vegetables and uh, like these very low calorie satiating foods that uh, don't have a lot of calories but they fill you up and they keep you satiated and uh, prevent hunger and also prevent cravings so, uh, so like leaner proteins would be a good option and uh, and uh, yeah like vegetables so yeah I would still do like some intermittent fasting uh, but I wouldn't like yeah like uh, maybe if I had like a like maybe like a small surplus or a small cheat day then I would ha only eat like once once a day the next day so like fast slightly longer and have like a smaller like a protein sparing modified fast type of meal for maybe 500 700 calories or something and then that would cut it off at that point so you, you still have to burn through the, like the previous cheat days calories so eating a 500 calorie uh, diet for one day is a good way to kind of make up for that. Mm. What is personally making you happy? <laughs> I'm interested in you as a person. Um, well, uh, I think uh, what makes me happy is uh, usually like the pursuit of some goals and uh, yeah like achieving the things that i want to achieve so to say so usually it's it has to do with uh because i like to like the uh the process of uh self-improvement and um yeah like uh kind of increasing my own uh let's say knowledge and uh, that sort of thing I've, that is the, one of the best things for me it's like learning and uh improving myself that's what i'm usually enjoying myself like uh, the, the most uh, the, uh, around the day but uh, like but it wouldn't be like me it wouldn't be worth it if it didn't bring me some like meaning uh, or like some fulfillment so like a fulfillment and meaning is uh, probably 
kind of the the kind of uh, end goal <laughs> if that makes sense but the way of getting there is through my own like personal mm, pursuits uh, do you think there is a significant difference between fasting for 24 hours versus fasting for 30 30 hours plus eating 600 calories versus fasting for 18 hours plus burning 600 calories that's a that's a mouthful okay <laughs> uh, let's look at it uh, do you think there's So I uh, gen generally like I wouldn't look at it like that way. I would look at it uh, that you're you're not you shouldn't supposed to be look at your only daily like calorie intake. You should ha you have to look at your like weekly calorie intake as well. In terms of like you can definitely you know lose weight five days of the week and then gain it all back uh, <laughs> because of like uh, going off the rails on the weekend or something. So yeah, generally. You, you like the, the kind of on a daily basis the small calorie fluctuations don't really matter that much what matters is the, like the kind of weekly overall balance it has on your body so how it's because like the calories themselves are also very relative and subjective so you can one person can get like um, hypothyroid and really you know stressed out by eating only 600 calories versus there are some other people who you know only eat like they may not necessarily be eating 600 calories but they're eating maybe like 1300 calories or something <laughs> uh, for a long time and uh, because they're kind of so used to it and uh, and they don't even notice it uh, so it's, it's a between individuals as well so if you're like a high athlete or you have a high metabolic rate uh, it's hard for you to uh, gain weight then eating 600 calories for you is like a huge energy deficit it's almost like you almost hadn't eaten anything at all versus someone who's like sedentary eating 600 calories for them it's almost like maintenance. <laughs> it's uh, almost like a, almost like a, they ate an entire day's worth of meals. Uh, so yeah, it's a very difference between people and their like overall metabolic rate. Should we break an eighteen to twenty hour fast differently than a sixteen hour? And uh, no, like they the, those ones are very like small differences in my opinion. There's not a huge uh, difference almost at all. So yeah, like what what I think is good to break a fast with um, like at the moment even like I don't have like any specific difference between uh, breaking a fast for like 16 hours versus breaking a fast for like 24 hours at the moment um, because uh, like after a while your body kind of gets used to it and doesn't really have a huge impact uh, for me at least uh, whereas if I, were, if I were to begin like maybe was when I started doing it was like you know six years ago then I did notice uh, a difference so to say, and at that point, I, if I were to fast for longer than sixteen hours, then I would maybe start off with some hot, hotter lemon water or like some bone broth. Whereas if it, where, well, I didn't need, I didn't need to do that if I broke a fast for like sixteen hours. But nowadays, I don't uh, notice a difference. Uh, but I, but I still usually have like some um, fermented foods and some uh, steamed vegetables with some eggs. That's my just break a fast meal, usually. And uh, yeah, break a fast can also be. In the evening, so breakfast is always a breakfast. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Do you think inversion has any benefits? Uh, yeah, like a little bit of benefits can have, like a most mostly just the improved uh, blood circulation and uh, getting the lymph flow going. Or not lymph flow, but yeah, they just 
increasing blood flow in sp specific regions of the body that where you may not necessarily be uh, usually that prone to have blood flow like like the head or maybe like how how often do we actually get like a direct you know increased blood flow into our head uh, not not a lot like we're not re climbing around trees we're not hanging from stuff uh it's always like going down going down away from the head into the feet and you know if you're standing on your feet all day you have like a physically demanding job or using a standing work workstation like i have then yeah your, your blood does uh, accumulate in the legs so what i do is uh i do take like breaks uh, on a regular basis where i you know kick my feet up the wall or on, onto my bed so that kind of creates this inversion that the blood flow will start to come off the legs down the rest of the body but because the primary reason i do that for is uh just uh gets the soreness away from the legs or something helps to helps to continue standing uh but i do just feels uh good as well i do also do like you know handstands uh, i do headstands i do hanging from the rings that sort of thing so i do experience inversion and fl flips flips and uh, like these all ranges of motion uh on a on a daily basis so that's that's something uh, that you can do and uh, yeah it's a good idea to have like some upside down flow on our daily basis i think um, any advice to stop being addicted to sweets <laughs> well uh there's them sweets yeah they're meant to be like one thing that had a huge like a epiphany like when i was in like i think i you know started the reading i started reading books and these uh nutrition and health books after high school and one of the first books that i read was like salt sugar and fat um i can't remember the author's name but uh, yeah it's a book about how talks about how these uh, food industries have tricked people into getting addicted to this junk food uh, by creating this specific formulas about uh what's the perfect amount of sweetness and this spark of spiciness and that sort of thing. Uh, what's the best ingredients? So that's, that's whoa! Like these people are actually <laughs> engineering these foods to make you addicted. So that's gonna makes you realize that hey, maybe it's not me. Maybe it's not my you know addiction addictive uh, mentality. Maybe it's just that the food is uh, kind of tricking me into let's say getting addicted into those things. And uh, then you know it's just I'm being. Uh, I have like maybe I may have like some certain just weaknesses and then these uh, fools exploit that weakness. So uh, of course this shouldn't be like this. Hey, I, there's nothing they can do. Like uh, <laughs> I shouldn't like blame others or something. There's always a certain amount of uh, self responsibility we have to take. But uh, I just realized that okay, the, these fools aren't you know meant to be. Um, they're not like meant to be eaten in moderation. They are meant to be eaten in excess and they're meant to be overeaten. Uh, they're designed to do do to, to do that so uh, that is when i realized okay yeah maybe it's just easier to not eat them at all so what i like of course every now once in a while i do have like some sweets and some uh like bad foods but i don't have them in my like pantry around me all the time because if if i were to be around me all the time then i would also maybe have more ideas to eat them uh as a as a result of just being around them and thinking about those things so what i found it much easier to just uh, eliminate them uh, but if you're already like um uh, in the loop <laughs> you've been already captured by the uh, addictive gods uh, then uh, what i've what you can maybe do is um kind of like fasting can be an option for that like you just go on a longer fast because it, a lot of the times it's much easier to say no to the entire thing than to just take one bite and put it away like 
like you know it's easier to say no to the entire donut than to take one bite of it and put it back so yeah like complete abstention is a great way to do it but it doesn't really fix the root cause or the root issue so the after a while you just have to kind of increase your let's say self-awareness about um okay what is making me triggered or what is <laughs> triggering these cravings and what is making me addicted and kind of maybe not avoid uh, yeah like avoiding them is an option but at the same time maybe um finding ways to uh, eat those in moderation if you do want to eat them so maybe it's just a lot of thinking like do you want to eat them uh, maybe you don't want to eat them at all um and then kind of cr creating the schedule mm. other things like eating you know these these restrictive diets also can be a useful tool so like the carnivore diet is something that a lot of people say that they fixes their sugar cravings the keto keto diet is also great for that mm. And uh, yeah, like let's just eliminating certain food groups. It makes it easier to kind of uh, make the decisions, uh, making the decisions in a let's say less stimulated state. Because if you're let's say on the sugar high, you're on the cravings high or the r cravings roller coaster, then your like rationality and decision making is also impaired because you're being hijacked by these uh, these uh, these stimulus and uh, the, the the foods. So you have to first get yourself into like a more conscious state, uh, get yourself into a state where you're not being hijacked you're actually thinking rationally <laughs> and then you can make a better decision uh, do you think saturated fats gets us faster in ketosis than other fats mm. not not really uh because like you don't need to eat any fats at all to uh get into ketosis although some fats you know make it faster like mct oil puts you into ketosis faster than other fats um, when it comes to saturated fats and let's say MCT oil, then MCT oil would be, you know, the winner because MCT oil is like, you know, medium chain triglycerides gets metabolized faster into ketones where saturated fats uh, metabolize for longer. Uh, what, but when you, but if you compare like saturated fats to polyunsaturated fats, then, um, I don't think there's a huge difference between there, but, uh, maybe like perhaps like because the, uh, saturated fats tend to come in a more like, um, with the other foods like you would it's harder to eat let's say actual saturated fat you know, usually comes in like like lard or tallow or a butter and that sort of thing so people people can drizzle like these uh, oils uh, much easily into their foods or cook it cook their foods in it so it's a, a tricky question but i think uh saturated fats inherent don't have like a lot of you know ketogenic properties um although like Although like coconut is actually co like regular coconut or coconut oil actually has a lot of uh, saturated fat. So, you know, depends on what kind of a saturated fat are you talking about. So if it's, a, if it's in the form of coconut or MCT oil, then of course, yeah, it's going to put you into ketosis faster. Um... Why don't you recommend to be in a calorie surplus for muscle building? Well, I, I did say that you need to be in a surplus to build muscle. It's just that you don't want to be in a, like a massive surplus because it's not worth it. Like you don't need, a, after a certain threshold, your body doesn't build additional muscle, so to say. If, if you, you need only like a small uh, surplus to start building muscle or to maximize it. So there's not, you're going to build the same, you're going to build the same amount of muscle if you ate, let's say a thousand calorie surplus versus a 500 calorie surplus. Uh, or like a, a better example would be like a 2000 calorie surplus versus a 
uh, 1000 calorie surplus, you're going to build the same amount of muscle. Uh, so but the difference is that if you eat like too many calorie surplus, then the rest of that calorie is going to be more easily as body fat. So a smaller, um, a, a smaller uh, surplus is better, generally. Can you please give me some advice for learning the handstand? Yeah, it's uh, a lot of practice. <laughs> so it's, a, it's just a, it's like a purely skill-based movement. Of, you need some strength as well in the traps and the shoulders and, you know, of course, the um, elbows. So you don't want to be doing uh, the handstands if you're not strong enough because then you're just going to injure yourself and that's going to set you back. Uh, the first you want to start off with would be uh, getting good at push-ups, getting good at dips, uh, getting good at pull-ups, uh, then doing like the headstand is uh, the starting point, and uh, then sh gradually doing like a kick to a wall handstand. Uh, yeah, but and yeah, but yeah, just uh, over the course of time, you just need to increase your strength and uh, the skill level from that. What are the best strategies to improve libido? <laughs> uh, well, uh, well, I think uh, a lot of times people have, like, you know, stress, uh, nutritional stress, energy stress uh, tends to be a big, big factor in like uh, libido and uh, sexual function. So, especially hormones. So, if you're, let's say, low thyroid, then uh, you're not going to be interested in any anything besides just trying to get some food. Uh, so yeah, like if you're chronically calorie restricted, you're mm, overtraining, you're sleep deprived, and that's a big, big problem. And yeah, like I think, what I think, what from personal experience, I think that uh, like nutrients is, is something that you can also uh, focus on, uh, like zinc and uh, like selenium and uh, you know copper, magnesium, those things tend to be important but overall calorie intake tends to be kind of the biggest thing usually if you're like if you're like you have low libido but you don't know what's the reason and uh, then it may be because of uh, just uh, chronic calorie restriction and of course like uh, you know there's you <laughs> you would have to be personally interested in it as well if you're not really interested in it then uh, yeah it's hard to force. It's hard to force things. Could the immortality of cancer cells be used for other cells with using telomer telomerase enzyme? Uh, perhaps, <laughs> perhaps, yeah. Like, uh, I mean, you know, theoretically, you could learn to create like some. Uh, create some cells that have the, some some of the properties of you know cancer cells the beneficial properties without the bad ones uh, so but you don't necessarily like I, I don't think um, you know cancer cells don't like like a, there's a difference between cells and uh, telomeres so uh, I don't know if it, if it's carries over from cells to telomeres so um, you don't want to have you don't necessarily want to have like immort immortal cells, I think, because yeah, you do need to kind of eliminate them <laughs> on a regular basis and repair them and those things. So it depends on which way you're going about it. You, like you can, 
you can uh, like uh, keep your cells alive and constantly repair them or you can swap them out and replace them with new ones so there's like different approaches that you can think about it like do you want to keep the old cells alive uh, by just rep by repairing them and uh, healing them on a regular basis which would be like almost like the western medicine approach like uh, people are older uh, they're diseased but they keep being kept alive with medications and drugs and they're being you know rejuvenated <laughs> to a certain point versus you want to uh like uh have these cells die or get old but you replace them which would be almost like the stem cell approach that you're uh rejuvenating on a regular basis so i don't know like the answer to that uh <laughs> question but because like tel telomer cancer cells don't have telomeres if i'm aware All right. Uh, well, I think uh, I'm going to stop wrapping up. It's been almost an hour to do. All right. Yeah, it's, and it was a good, good catch up stream. And yeah, we, got, we even got the chat box uh, working, which is good. So we'll have a better, uh, better chat for the next time. All right. Uh, happy New Year, everyone. And uh, hopefully, hopefully the 2021 is going to be better than 2020. But uh, don't get your hopes high. <laughs> uh, yeah, so. I'm also yeah working on another book with uh, with you you know who, but I'm not gonna spoil it yet. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll see you around.